all of the people of the opinion that the judge was very biased. Actually, I will quote him verbatim. <laughs> he said, you should be living in shakes. You are listening to Think African, a seasonal podcast engaging African thinkers and doers on what it means to think African. I'm your host, J.D. Ramalapa. Remember to like and review this podcast so that more people like you can find it. Sound Africa is a non-profit organization. Please consider donating if you want to keep hearing more of our podcasts. Visit us at soundafrica.org to learn more. When the Dutch arrived in the Cape in 1652, they introduced a system of land registration and planning in colonies created for administration and agriculture. Their approach to land was informed by the belief that the land inhabited by indigenous communities was resinulius, meaning property of no one or nobody's thing. Nobody's thing is a Latin term from private Roman law for something which is ownerless. Examples of resnulius today can be wild animals, abandoned buildings, or slaves. Finding was also another way Europeans used to occupy or create new settlements. Since the thing which is completely lost or abandoned is the property of no one, it belongs to the first taker. It's where the adage, finders, keepers, losers, weepers, comes from. This system of land grabs or occupations has been replicated many times across the world to varying degrees. In the African context, the first takers got the best land and created exclusive settlements separating them from indigenous populations. But the goal was not to foster equal but separate development as the early architects of apartheid would have us believe. Is the government convinced that the African wants and accepts apartheid as a development policy? For obvious reasons, many opponents of this policy tried to influence the Bantu people in the other direction. And like all new philosophies, we had to put our case to the Bantu people. And I can safely say today that the Bantu people are accepting the policy of self-development, which apartheid essentially is in an ever-increasing tempo. I feel confident that the Bantu leadership of Africa, rural and urban, will, by the turn of next year, show in a most marked way that they are satisfied that this policy leads to their salvation. Not only did they want separate development for themselves, they also created systems that would suppress and restrict any development from these communities. This separate development system has prevailed even in a democratic South Africa. In this week's episode of Think African, we speak to Kululegi Lebanzi from Singabalapa, or We Belong Here, a group of backyard street dwellers in the suburb of Observatory Cape Town who refused to be moved to a separate location after they were evicted from a historic building in disrepair 
last year. This is a companion episode to the previous one with Cape Town-based activist Kelly Eve Guapman and the We See You movement to demonstrate how two sides of the same struggle can work together in solidarity from different positions. Even though the occupiers of the Kems Bay mansion tried to use the Prevention of Illegal Eviction Act, or PI, to stay in the mansion, they did so without any success. The backyard street dwellers, on the other hand, were successful in using PI to shelter in place. Yep, the funny thing is in my face now. Yeah, the mic. <laughs> Good morning, Jerry, and thank you very much for having me. My name is Kululeki Lebanzi. I am the media spokesperson for the Observatory Informal Settlement, alternatively known as Singabalapa. When Kululegile Banzi moved from his shack in the African black township of Langa to the middle-class mixed suburb of Observatory in Cape Town, he didn't know that he would end up literally living on its pavements within days of moving into Acadia Place. For this interview, he spoke to us from our executive producer, Rasmus Bitsis car, since his home is too loud for sound recording. He lives in a tent. When it was announced that uh, people were going to occupy the building, I was very, very, very upbeat about it because I thought that would, that would better my, my life, you know? And also, of course, put our issue as people don't have places to stay it in the, in the front of uh, the city's attention. So we went there and occupied the building, which was on a Friday evening. Two years ago, in January 2019, the historic Acadia building, home to 160 retired residents, was evacuated for renovation. The Cape Town Peninsula Organization for the Aged announced that the building would be demolished and a new one constructed in its place the new Acadia was expected to have four to five more stories added to the two already there. But this has not happened yet because this is the building that Banzi moved into. A lot of people, criminals I guess for lack of a better phrase, were breaking into the building and uh, vandalizing the building basically. And there's lots of people in the townships like Langa, Kukule, Tunyanga, and surrounding areas, basically backyard dwellers. So word got out that there was an initiative to occupy the building. So we went there. I was staying in a shack. I was renting a shack with very little access to electricity. Ablution facilities were horrendous. It was just not a good space to live in, basically, miss. If someone, for example, were to get stabbed or get involved in an accident, on average, it takes an, ab- an ambulance like three hours to get there. You know, so it's definitely a good space. Never mind the drugs, the crime, and everything that happens outside. Living in observatory made life much easier for Kululegile and more than 200 others who occupied the building with him under the assumption that it was nobody's thing. The good thing about it, never mind the, the disrepair, everything about it, but at least we had a stable roof over our heads. If you needed to go to work, it was very easy for you to get to work without having to be afraid of getting robbed on your way going to work. Or, you know, I mean, some people have kids that go to school here, so they had to leave from Langa or Nyanga, wherever, to bring their kids to the school here. So when they are here, it's easy for them to get their children to school. In a nutshell, Mr. Swat, yeah. 
That's how we got to move into the building because it was mixed, made everything uh, life better. <laughs> I'm using that phrase liberally. But his newfound joy and peace was short-lived. Just days after moving in, he came back from work one day to find chaos unfolding inside Arcadia Place. When I got here, I saw like there was a lot of people standing outside. You know, when I got off the taxi, I went in and like, what's happening? You know, there was a private security firm out inside and they were telling us we are, we are not allowed to go in. And there were about, like I said, like very few, like about 20, 30 ladies and maybe a couple of kids, you know, and two or three guys that were not working or that at the building during the, during, upon the arrival of the security. Realizing that the security guards were there to evict them, some of the occupiers began to fight, refusing to leave. So it was a lot of um, back and forth, you know, people, now nah, we want to go in, we got our, our things in there and stuff like that, you know, but they were not having that. And then I know some people tried to force their way in and uh, security shot at us with a rubber, actually it was hit with a rubber bullet. But uh, point is like later the police arrived with uh, the sheriff. Yeah, the sheriff and he said, yeah, he said we were supposed to vacate the space because that's what the court ordered. We found that weird because for starters, uh, if a court has to evict people basically, then uh, the city has to be one of uh, the, of the parties in the court case because a lot of people are going to be made homeless now. The occupiers were surprised that the courts had granted the city of Cape Town permission to evict them without their knowledge. Because according to the Prevention of Illegal Evictions Act of South Africa, or PAI, the government is required to provide alternative accommodation when it evicts people from buildings it owns. But Acadia Place, in this case, was not owned by the government. So the occupiers were kicked out of the building. Kulegile said the magistrate commented that the occupiers deserved to live in shacks. All of the people of the opinion that the judge was very biased. Actually, I will quote him verbatim. <laughs> he said, you should be living in shacks, not in town, because this is our space, basically. So on that night, of course, it was not easy, but we decided that we're not going anywhere. The people that were inside, they were kicked out, actually. And then our clothes, our property, fridges, beds, everything, were thrown outside onto the street. We collected as much as we could, and we put them under the tree in front of the building, and we slept there. And uh, we've been doing that since day one, sleeping outside there. The group approached the Observatory Community Action Network set up in response to the pandemic known as OBSCAN. They provided them with food, water, fire and cooking utensils since they didn't have access to water or electricity on the pavements of the main road. Through OBSCAN, they were also able to buy tents to protect them from the elements. They also sought legal advice. The city wanted them to move from the pavements because it said it had found suitable accommodation for them. In a coastal village four hours away from the city of Cape Town called Strandfontein. When they refused to move, the city tried every trick in the book. The first was telling them the move was voluntary. 
No, that's kind of weird because not so long after that, I think about a week from that, we had three visits from law enforcement, you know, with a huge show of force telling us we are breaking bylaws, blocking the road, we're making fires in the, in the street, and that, and that, and that, and that. So it's either we vacate the space. If we don't, they're going to come the following day and issue us with fines. Well, we said, well, of course, we're not leaving the space. There was a lot of back and forth. Uh, some of our people assaulted, actually, during that. The following day, the law enforcement came again, and they handed out everybody uh, fines. One of our occupants was detained, you know, forcefully. We assaulted him, and then they put him in, a, in the back of a van. And he stayed there for like three, four hours, you know, until they finished what they came here to do, which was basically due to fine us for being homeless. This back-and-forth tug-of-war continued until the courts were called in to mediation. After listening to both sides of the argument, acting judge Sowen Hockey said it was clear that the city of Cape Town was avoiding its responsibility to provide proper housing for the homeless by enforcing bylaws. The city was taken to court and a judgment was in our favour in that the city has no right. I think the phrase they use positive eviction or something along those lines, they make you want to leave the space. So the city was told that it cannot do that. And from my understanding that the city intends appealing the judgment, which is very weird because now the question that, that, that comes out of that now is like, in whose interest is the city acting? You know, it was definitely not in ours. African. Since the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic, homelessness has increased across the main cities of South Africa. Recent news reports claim that Cape Town city centre residents and commuters are concerned about the sudden influx of homeless people camping around the CBD. They say they fear for their lives and safety on a daily basis. A crisis which the We See You Artist Collective tried to highlight when they occupied a BNB mansion in Camps Bay around the same time as Singaba Lapa were being harassed by local police for being the homeless. Queer radical feminist activist collective and to highlight their Camps cause, they've occupied the upmarket Cape Peninsula. Their actions are aimed town. at highlighting popular the among the rich and famous. Yeah. Most properties have seen these things. But the property managers are not impressed and they want them out by Thursday. Kulegile says he supported We See You's actions because, as he sees it, the action brought a ton of public and media attention to their cause. Excuse the phrase, but I think there's different ways to kill a cat. So <laughs> I, I stand to be corrected. I cannot speak on their behalf, of course, but from what I see, their initiative got a lot of responses. I, I won't call it clickbait per se. But yeah, a lot of people want, it brought a lot of people's attention to the issue. Whatever 700 rands they spent over the weekend for there, for them to have donated to Singabalapa, I don't think you could have bought that much uh, publicity to the issue. Kulegile says this period feels a bit like the 1980s again, when black people lived under the Group Areas Act, which racialized everything in the country. For me, actually, it's, it still feels like the 1980s in the sense that 
Racial profiling is crazy in Cape Town by the police. My people are still second or third class citizens in this Western Cape. The people in government, at least in local government, Western Cape, they are still stuck in that mentality. And it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. I would like to believe that I'm wrong. Even though Singabalapa have managed to keep the city's authorities at bay for now, living in a tent on the pavements is still an incredibly harsh form of existence. Seriously, miss. Words cannot describe what we go through here, miss. We have children over here. For example, I'm on insulin. I don't have a fridge here. I have to be injecting myself mornings and mornings and evenings. But even the shack I was staying at, like I said, electricity, I only have like electricity for like three, four hours a day. I might as well not have had a fridge because I couldn't really store stuff in it because it just goes, goes rotten in the shacks. And over here, it's living from hand to mouth or from another person's hand, I guess, to your hand. Since childhood, Kulegi Lebanzi had admired Robert Sibukwe, founder of the Pan-African Congress that broke away from the ruling party ANC in 1958. The PAC objected to the ANC's multiracialism worldview. Instead, it advocated for a South Africa based on black nationalism to the exclusion of other ethnicities. The PAC's core agenda was also to return the land to its rightful owners, the Africans. Um, my mom is from Kravrenet in Sobukwe Street there. Robert Mangalito Sobukwe's house is about seven, eight houses down from where I stay. I grew up under his teachings. A very principled man who believed in giving everything else a chance before resorting to violence. He's a person that speaks of non-racialism. But most importantly, this is our land, we cannot be made second-class and third-class citizens in our land and not go up in arms against it. In South Africa today, there's a growing sentiment among young people that the ruling ANC and its current leaders sold out on the mission to return South African land to its rightful owners during the Congress for a Democratic South Africa or CODESA talks in 1991. These sentiments are affirmed by leaders such as Julius Malema of the Economic Freedom Fighters who use catchphrases such as white monopoly capital to stir the pot. For Kululegile, living on the pavements of observatory is a daily reminder of this betrayal. I don't want to be pointing fingers, but there's a president who owns a company that's right in front of me right now, McDonald's. That gentleman has sold us out. That gentleman is the one that okayed the massacre of miners. But the very same ANC, the very same Kosatu, all of them, that said, they are for workers' rights. They're the very same ones that put that guy in power after he had done this. And that is the strongest organization in the country. So that should give you an idea of how much interested they are in developing us, us as a people. To learn more about how South Africa was sold to the highest bidder during the transition period, listen to Sound Africa's podcast, Freedom for Sale. It is a new beginning. 
a fresh start for what is now called the Rainbow Nation. What most people do not know is that while they are watching the helicopters putting the South African flag on display, they are also watching something else. They are watching the corruption of apartheid seamlessly being carried across the sky into the new South Africa. Next time, we will speak to human rights defender Okwechuku Mwanguma about how British colonial laws have fueled rampant corruption in Nigeria. Until then, merci, obrigado, gracias, shukran, asante sana, bayadanki, realeboja, engosi. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.